Shadow Talk. Hello and welcome to a midweek special of Shadow Talk. This time we'll be drilling into our latest research, too much information and the exposure that we're seeing across a host of different services that have been misconfigured. Podcasts just like buses at the moment, aren't they? Don't have any for two weeks and then two come along at once. Busy time. We've got RSA coming up as well, so a lot on our plate. Indeed. Right, so we gave people a little bit of a teaser in the last weekly pod about the research that we've been doing here into these misconfigured services that are exposing a whole lot of sensitive information. And it would be good to just drill down into this a little bit more. As well, would you want to give people a bit of a background into what exactly this paper is all about and how we started going about it? Sure. So we spent the last few months looking for cases of data exposure across file sharing services, cloud storage and backup devices like you mentioned earlier. So what happened was our very talented developers and engineers built a tool that's capable of scanning for unauthenticated network file sharing and storage solutions. And after removing all the irrelevant file types and false positives, we were able to amass over 1.5 billion exposed files across RSync, SMB, FTP, misconfigured websites, NAS drives, and Amazon S3 buckets. Now, this constitutes 12 petabytes. That's 12,000 terabytes. Yeah, and, and that, that is a hell of a lot of data. Um, in context, the Panama Papers leak from a couple of years back, that was 2.6 terabytes. This is 4,000 times bigger than that. And then if we remember the deep root S3 bucket leak of the 189, 198 million US voters, that was just one terabyte as well. So there's, there's lots of data here, but um, getting an idea of which aspects of that are sensitive was sort of like the purpose of the research. Exactly. And the report breaks down this level of exposure by geography. So we look at all the different continents and a few specific countries to see which ones are the worst offenders. We break it down by file type, by storage source. And then we also look at three broad themes that's come out of our analysis. So we look at data that's related to personal information, intellectual property data, and then security assessments. And we'll drill down into each of these as, as we keep talking, because that's, I think that's where all the juicy findings are. Yeah, you mentioned the different sources that we looked across and where the data was exposed, but I wonder whether it's worth mentioning for a few of our listeners exactly what these services are. We've, we've probably all heard of S3 buckets and the data exposure that's, that's occurred because of those. And, and those are the, the Amazon cloud-based storage services. And whilst they are now private by default, um, there have been many instances in the past of people leaving these S3 buckets open. So the information that they thought was private was actually public. And that's what really kicked us off on this research. But actually there are the host of other different services which are exposing data online. And you mentioned FTP, SMB, RSync, misconfigured websites and NAS drives. Um, shall, we, shall we talk about exactly what each of those is? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So you mentioned there's three buckets. They're probably one of the most recent and they're quite well known now. Um, but there are these older technologies that are, that are still really relevant and still in use, as as we'll see in the paper. So FTP, that stands for File Transfer Protocol. So that's a network protocol used to transfer computer files. And you've got SMB, which is Server Message Block. So that, again, is a network file sharing protocol. Then we've got RSync, which is a way of transferring and synchronizing files. We've got 
you refer to misconfigured websites. So that's web servers that have directory listings enabled. And then the final one is NAS drives and network attached storage devices. These have been around a long time as well. They're very popular. There's all these different brands out there. So these are devices that are often used to back up home computers. I think what's really interesting is what you said there in terms of S3 buckets. So yes, they've received a lot of media attention over the last year or two. Uh, there's been some quite uh, high profile cases where data has been exposed on them and researchers have found them and then um, released some reports on it. So that was part of the impetus behind, behind what we were doing. But what's really interesting that's come out of the research is that S3 exposure only makes up a very, very small percentage of, of overall exposure. I think by our estimations, it's around 7%. And when we compare that to FTP, SMB, R-Sync, it's completely dwarfed by them. 7%, that's still an awful lot of files. That's 100 million, I think, was the data on that. But compared to SMB, for example, which was half a billion, uh, it, it does show it in context. Now, taking these different different services, this was sort of a natural extension of what we do as an organization anyway. So we're looking for instances of data exposure as across as many sources as possible, um, finding ways to remove that data so organizations are less exposed. And a particular challenge is looking for how third parties are exposing organizations. This is, this is a common occurrence, but starting with the S3 buckets example, it's a really, really common occurrence for organizations be exposed by their third parties. And when we expanded it to all of these different services that we just outlined, actually the results were, were pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, going back to third parties, so third parties and also company insiders, these are areas that our clients and we know organizations around the world really struggle with and it's a risk that they're really concerned with. And the main reason is that organizations really struggle to have visibility into the data that lies outside of their network, outside their perimeter. So that's essentially the question our developers and engineers were trying to answer. How do you find leaked documents, leaked data, which are stored by these third parties, contractors, suppliers, or even your own employees when they're not actually at work? And they eventually created the, this tool. And yeah, the fruits of that research are, are in the white paper. On the personal data itself, I personally was, was pretty shocked with with a lot of the findings. Um, so on the employee side, there's a ton of information on payroll data. Um, as part of the way we analyze the data, you can slice it by file type as well. So looking at payroll information, and specifically those as CSV or XLS files and, and spreadsheets was, was quite worrying. I think in total, there's 700,000 instances of payroll mentioned across these 1.5 billion files. So yeah, as well as payroll and tax information, um, the other interesting finding for us was the amount of medical data out there as well. So we found around four and a half thousand mentions of patient lists. And then a much bigger figure was these instances of .dcm files. So that's an extension for medical imaging files used for like MRI scans. So we found over 2.2 million documents with those extensions. Yeah, that's, um, that's a digital imaging and communications in medicine file format. Um, that's an extraordinary amount of those files that is publicly accessible. What's interesting there is that actually it was over 2 million from one particular location, and that was in Europe as well. Now, the idea of there being information potentially sensitive located in the European Union, that's got a whole flavor to it. 
Yeah, I mean, GDPR is is knocking on the door at the minute. So next month, uh, towards the end of May, that's when it's all going to come into force. So I think one thing this research is highlighting is how much um, information and data is being exposed where organizations probably obviously don't intend to expose this information, but probably don't have the visibility to know that their, their supply chain or even their employees are doing this. And I think there might be this overwhelming sense among a lot of organizations of out of sight, out of mind. So you, you map your own infrastructure out and you see what, what data you have in store when you're doing your audits, when you're doing all your assessments, your privacy assessments. But organizations shouldn't forget of all these other services that are out there, all these other employees and contractors who might also be part of that chain. So they really need to have a quite a holistic view over all these things because when GDPR comes into force, that's when you're going to start seeing trouble with um, maybe some large fines coming into play. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Um, but but certainly there's there's a lot of personal data that will be exposed already uh, pertaining to European Union citizens. I think on this research, it was it was over, well over a third of the total files that were exposed were, were located in the European Union. Although as a single country, the United States had the most exposure itself. Yeah, and I think we have to take into account obviously um, population that's that's that plays a part as well so on the whole there's a big correlation with countries with the largest populations and the most amounts of internet connected users they tend to have the the largest levels of exposure and that's that's as expected yeah so very obvious compliance and privacy violation type potential impacts to expose personal information a very different type of impact that we looked at as part of this data exposure was actually corporate espionage and the financial damage and competitive advantage that can that can cause um so there's there's a ton of stuff we found in exposed intellectual property as well do you want to talk about any of that yeah so intellectual property is obviously something that a lot of big not just big organizations but organizations in a wide variety of industries are really concerned about so whether you're a technology company and you've got proprietary source code or you work in manufacturing or industrial goods and services you might have some very specific components and patent applications that you're working on the same in the medical and pharmaceutical industries and what was staggering for us is that we saw around 95,000 references to source code in these files that we found we found copyright applications patent applications numbering upwards of a thousand one really nice example that we've actually included a redacted version of in the in the white paper is full source code for a technology company and then we've also got uh, this powerpoint presentation from a renewable energy company in europe where it's got everything you might need from a, a corporate espionage point of view you've got the, the patent application you've got the number of the patent you've got actual di- like diagrams with all the labels on there showing exactly how the components work and you've got the status of the patent application as well so quite staggering some of the information you can find out there yeah and and similarly with the personal data there's the medical flavor to it as well like the source code that you mentioned for the technology company that was actually a company that was providing solutions to store electronic medical files Um, so i think yeah it's just a reminder of the sensitivity of healthcare data uh, within personal data as well yeah and that that source code example actually makes me it actually leads on nicely to the to the other part of the paper, the other the other theme, which is security assessment. So we also found an example of a source code vulnerability assessment by obviously a, a security third party 
contractor who did the audit, who did the assessment, and they then uploaded that onto a NAS drive and just left it open there. And that had loads of like juicy information on exactly what vulnerabilities were um, present on the software being used by this company, uh, passwords to accessing the source code online. And that's part of this broader thing about security assessments. So we found nearly a thousand penetration tests. So you can imagine the amount of companies that contract uh, security providers to do some testing for them. But then what happens with all those files after the contractors go home? They'll obviously send it to you as an organization, but where are they storing them? And that's something that really came out in this research that we did. Yeah, and then in another instance, we, we did see this European manufacturer for two-factor authentication solutions. They had actually a report with all of their vulnerabilities listed and um, the, what, those that weren't patched in the priority they needed to do so, uh, the risk that they're posing. So if an attacker comes across this kind of information, I mean, it's, it's just absolute gold. And as you say, for an attacker, that's just absolutely perfect reconnaissance information. So the, the huge number of files that are exposed online, as well as all the really sensitive examples that we just talked about, that's really interesting. But I think it also points to a more fundamental challenge at the moment, and that's within your supply chain and your employees exposing this information online. Supply chain security isn't a new thing, and organizations obviously have to interact with different types of services in order to do their day-to-day -day business. I mean, you've got MSSPs, architects, consultants, contractors, all needing to access information and share information that could be potentially sensitive for you as an organization. So the challenge, I think, for organizations is how do you constrain what suppliers do with your data that you have given to them or they've got from your organization? And as this research has shown, that, that's a real challenge. No, you're completely right, Mike. I mean, yeah, this research is it's just bringing home something that I think a lot of us already knew. So you mentioned supply chains. On the other side of that, you've got your company insiders. So, I mean, think about it. Employees take their work laptops home with them and they might back them up to their home NAS drives, which then they're misconfigured and then they're exposing stuff to the public internet. Or then you've got your workers conducting work-related activities using personal or public devices or services. Then you might have an employee open up network services to move data around or to allow a third party access, just like if they're troubleshooting support or like reporting, that sort of stuff. They might do that temporarily, but it never gets revoked. And I think that's probably what's happened in a lot of cases as well. Which similarly, we see that a lot with Amazon S3. So the permission settings can be a bit confusing. So if you need to open up a bucket to a select group of individuals or a particular company, but close it to everyone else, it's really easy to make mistakes, particularly if you're doing that at scale. We're sounding a bit gloomy and cynical here. Like there are, there are some, a lot of things that organizations can do and they're quite simple measures that, that can prevent a lot of this oversharing and unintentional exposure that we reported on. For SMB, RSync and FTP, I think it's important to authenticate and use a password um, to firewall off port access. And then if you really do need to have them um, connected to the internet, then consider IP whitelisting as well. Um, that's for SMB, RSync and FTP. For misconfigured websites, I think just disable directory listings. And for NAS drives, again, use passwords and consider disabling anonymous or guest access as well. 
Yeah, and then on the non-technical side of things, a lot of this comes to just employee training, user awareness, things that you can roll out across an organization as well. So as I said, A, provide training to your employees on the risks of backing up online. If people are going to be using backup solutions like NAS drives, maybe think about providing your own ones to employees and making sure um, the default setting isn't for them to be unauthenticated. And then think about these risks when you're working with contractors as well. You should be providing them with the same sort of guidance and training that you would your ordinary employees as well. They're all part of your supply chain, so you should treat them in a very similar way. Yeah, I really like the point on the backup solutions for employees. Like, They need to have an effective way to share and exchange information. And if you're not providing that to them, they're going to find a way to do so, and as we've seen throughout this whole of this research, that can cause huge headaches for you as an organization. Yeah, I think that's actually a really important thing to, to highlight with this report. What, we're not saying that these, a lot of these services and technologies are, are not fit for purpose or that they're, they're a big, big problem. Essentially, a lot of these things like FTP, SMB, RSync, they're doing what they're meant to do. They're, they're file sharing um, protocols or services. The problem is it's, it's when humans come in and users come in and they're not securing them properly. So we're not bad-mouthing FTP necessarily. What we're saying is just, yeah, you need to, to take all the relevant steps to make sure they're well authenticated. Yeah, but following all of those steps, I mean, they're fairly straightforward steps to follow, which is, which is almost promising in a way because you've got all of this exposure, but here are things that organizations and individual users can do and make a significant difference. So I always like those examples where it's not this huge vulnerability that's really hard to patch, but these are things that you can do this week and really drastically improve the security of not only you as an organization, but for those organizations that you're in their supply chain. Yeah, but as we know, Mike, sometimes the simplest things are the hardest ones to carry out. And I think when, you're, when organizations are doing this en masse, and you've got loads and loads of employees, yeah, the risks are always going to be there. Hey, listeners, download that report. You can access the report at resources.digitalshadows.com. It's called Too Much Information.